Good morning. We are on Chaf Aleph Amud Bet for Ayal. Okay. We are right in middle of the daf. Uh, the first one line is Veles. Literally middle of the daf. We're up to Rabbi Huda Omer. So just by way of background, just to remind everybody. So the Mishnah had said a Baal Keri, someone who experiences an, an emission of Zera, of, uh, of semen, uh, he, uh, he's not allowed to do certain things. He shouldn't uh, say Shema. Right, uh, uh, he can do uh, can do benching, but he shouldn't do tefillah. And there's a whole machlokas whether you say the brachos of Kriya Shema, whether you don't say the brachos of Kriya Shema, you don't say emotzi, you say brachos amazon. And the upshot of the Gemara was that anything that's in Torah, meaning benching or Kriya Shema, at least your maharer, you think about it, but you don't you, you don't think about the brachos of Kriya Shema, you don't think about hamotzi because those are only midrabanan. Rabbi Yehuda said no, we even say the brachos, meaning not just you say Kriya Shema. Not, it's not just that you're Mahara, you can only think about it. You can actually articulate and verbalize Kriyashma, not just Kriyashma, but the brachos of Kriyashma, it's one unit. And also by, by uh, benching, not just the Berchos Amazon, but even, even, even Hamotzi. Now, by just way of background, we have to understand one thing. The, before, and we'll get to this in a second in the Gemara, but we just have to have a little bit of background. By Har Sinai, by Matan Torah, B'nai Israel was told to separate from their wives for three days. You're not allowed to have any tashmish, no intimacy with your wives for three days. Now, what's the reason for this? Now, as far as a man is concerned, if he has an emission of Zerah, he can go to Mikvah that night and become Tahar. So from a man's perspective, he only needs to have one day to refrain from, to be abstinent, so that he can approach Harsinai in a state of Tara. A woman needs three days, and the reason is because the Torah assumes that any Zerah that's in her uterus for three days, after three days deteriorates, and so if she goes to Mikvah and then has an emission of Zerah, after three days it's not Metameir. So the three days is really only needed from the woman's perspective. From the man's perspective, one day would have been enough to, ins- to be abstinent and not, not engage in Tashmas with his wife, and that would have been enough yeah. to ensure that he would have been at Mama Narsinai in a state of Tara. Again, for the woman, she needed three days, because if, if she's Poleta uh, Zera, if she emits Zera three days after the Tashmish, at that point already, on the fourth day, it's not, it's not Matame. So if she, once she goes to Mikvah after three days, she's guaranteed being in a state of of Tara from that, pers- from that perspective. Okay, so with that in mind, let's start the Gemara. The Gemara says, Rabbi Huda Omer, Mevorech Lifneim Lachareim. Rabbi Huda in our Mishnah said, Not only can you say Kriyashma, you even make the Bracha beforehand and afterwards. The Gemara continues, Lememra, the Kasavar, Rabbi Huda, Balkari, Mutter, Bedivre Torah. This suggests, obviously, that he says that they're allowed to articulate and verbalize. Not like our Mishnah said, the other Mandama who said, you can only think about it. He says you can actually say it, and not just the Shema, but Eve and the Berchus Amazon, but even the Hamotzi, which is not Midarais, and even the Berchus Kriya Shema, he must hold that a Baal Kari is Mutter B'divrei Torah. Someone, a male who has an emission, is Mutter B'divrei Torah. I, <clears throat> I, um, but doesn't the Gemara say, Vamre Shuban Levi, Minayin Lebal Kari, Sha'asur B'divrei Torah. Don't we know that Rishubin Levi says, where do we know that from? When it comes to teaching uh, your children Torah, right? So the Pasuk says, you will inform them and your children and your grandchildren about Torah. And adjacent to that or juxtaposed to that is Yom Asher Sinai. And through the juxtaposition of these Pesukim, just like we know that 
when you teach your children, if it if it um, uh, places the Torah places right next to that, Mom and Harsinai, we know that whatever applied to Harsinai must apply to in general lear, laws of learning of teaching Torah. Malahalan, just over there by Harsinai, Bale Kri and Asurin, they were not allowed. Balkari was Asur in Divrei Torah. How do we know that? Because they weren't. Balkari was not allowed to approach uh, Matan Torah. He wasn't allowed to come at the footsteps of Harsinai, as we just said. He had to abstain for three days. So Madach, just like over there, he had to go ahead and be in a state of Tara by Harsinai, and this is juxtaposed to Vadatim Levanecha When you teach and you give over the Masorah and you teach the, the children. Torah, it also has to apply, the same halachos have to apply that they did by Matan Torah to Talmud Torah. Afkan Baalei Kriyan Asurin. So too here, a Balkari's Asur Bidivrei Torah. The Gemara says one second, Rabbi Shua ben Levi's whole supposition is that you're so mechdushim. So mechdushim means when you have Pasuk A and Pasuk B's bet, sorry, next to each other then you're allowed to learn Smuchim, you're allowed to learn halachos similar to A to B from the, from the um, juxtaposition. The fact that they're adjacent to each other, you can learn from A to B. That's called smuchim. Smuchim means things that are close together. And if you're dorish smuchim, you can learn from A to B. The Gemara says, You'll say, I have a very easy answer. Rabbi Shub and Levi learned this. But maybe Rabbi Huda doesn't hold of smuchim. Maybe Rabbi Huda doesn't hold that you can learn from Adatim, the Vanechel, the Vnei Vanecha, to, uh, from, from, uh, from Harsinai. Gemara says, okay, in general, even if you assume that someone does not learn smuchim, meaning you can't learn from sugya A to sugya B just because they're attached to each other, that doesn't hold true by Dvarim. By, par- by Sefer Dvarim, even if someone does not buy into this concept of smuchim, of juxtapositions, and therefore you can learn from A to Pasuk B, even though it's not the same Pasuk, you could, that only applies for the first four uh, Sfarim. But by Sefer Dvarim, everyone agrees that you can learn smuchim. You know why? Because the Sif Sechachavim says, what, what, what's another name for, for Dvarim? Mish- oh, Mishnah Torah. Dvarim is also called Mishnah Torah. Why is Dvarim called Mishnah Torah? Because it was Moshe was rehashing Everything that happened in the first four, well, not, not in Bracious, but what happened after um, Shmos and onwards. Basically, it is a repetition. Says the Sif Sechomim, Moshe didn't really need to repeat everything. Why did he repeat everything? Clearly to teach us something extra. And therefore, most people will hold that even if you don't learn Smuchim in Bracious, Shmos, Vayikra, and Bamidbar, and Dvarim, you will. Because the whole purpose of, of it was only to teach us additional halachas. Otherwise, the Torah doesn't waste real estate. The Torah, I know, reason otherwise to go ahead and repeat many of the mitzvos that we already had in the first four, not, there's only three mitzvos in Sefer Bracious, but in the other three Sfarm, the only reason to repeat it, so that you can be Doris Muchim. So the Gemara says, If you want to tell me, Rabbi Huda can reject Rabbi Shuban Levi because he doesn't hold the smuchim. Therefore, if he doesn't hold the smuchim, you can't tell me that just because B'nai Yisrael, just as B'nai Yisrael were commanded to be Tahor and not Bali Keri when Harsinai doesn't extend to any time they teach Torah. So if you'll tell me they don't hold the Rabbi Huda doesn't hold smuchim, Rabbi even if you don't learn of smuchim, meaning you don't hold of any halachos by, um, by juxtaposition of psukim, 
by all the Torah, Torah Darsh, for the reason we just said, you still would, that person will still admit, when it comes to Sefer Dvarim, you would learn Smuchim, because that's the whole reason why it was, it was mentioned again, right? Mishnah Torah means the whole Dvarim is really a repetition. And so therefore, since these Psukim, both in Dvarim, so he would still, he should still say, like Rabbi Shubin Levi, that since you were required to be Tor from a state of Balkari, meaning a Balkari couldn't accept the Torah that I see. And I, so too, a Balkari should not be able to, to go over and transmit the Torah. So what do you mean the criteria is that it's one safer, you could utilize the method of juxtaposition? Exactly. It's one safer? No, because, yes. What? No, not one safer. What's They're the closer criteria? together than that. So in general, smucha means you have Pasuk A and B, or maybe yeah. Pasuk Aleph and Gimel. Close, more, more than just a, a safer. So even if you're not Dori Smucha Mechola Torah Kula, Everyone admits that by Sefer Dvarim you are. Why? Another name of Sefer Torah is Mishnah Torah. The Sif Chachamim says that Moshe repeated everything. He didn't have to. There's very little chidushim in, 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 in Dvarim. Moshe repeated everything, says the Sif Chachamim, Dafka, just to teach us extra things. The Torah never repeats. The real estate is very, is very coveted in the Torah. Right? So the fact that he repeated must be that he could be Dori Smuchim to teach us an added level of, of insight and depth that is not present in the other four farms. The Gemara says... Now, how do we know in general that Rabbi Huda is not Dore Smuchim? So we're going to prove now, in general, in the first force form. Rabbi Huda, lo Darish Smuchim, Torah Kula, Mishnah Torah Darish. Okay, let's assume now that he doesn't learn, um, that he doesn't learn Smuchim in the first force form, but he doesn't in, uh, in Dvarim. Let's see. Gemara says, How do we know that in general? He does not hold of Smuchim other than Sefer Dvarim. It says, A sorceress you cannot let live, meaning you have to kill any sorceress. By the way, it also means even a male sorcerer, just that the Torah said, because at that time a woman sorceress was much, much more shchiach, it was much more common than a male. By Nashim, yeah, much more, much more of a female sorceress was the more common practice. And therefore, it doesn't actually tell us how she dies. It just says you have to die. We know there are four different types of Misa's Bezin, the Skila, Srefa, Herak, Bechenek, stoning, right? Stoning, you push them off a cliff, and then you throw boulders on them, Srefa, you pour burning hot lead. Herag is uh, decapitation, Chenek is strangulation. So most Shitas hold that Skila is the most Chamor. There is one Shita uh, that disagrees, but most people say that... Uh, that skila is the most is the most chamar, is the most stringent. So now, if in Amar, right after it says lo do not let a sorceress live. It says right next to it, most you must. Anyone who goes ahead and commits bestiality also has to be put to death. So Gemara says, smacho inyon lo, glomar, and and so those who are dore smuchim, those who are uh, who are going to learn juxtaposition. Um, we'll say, why did it go ahead and mention uh, these two things, a sorceress and bestiality juxtaposed to one another? So it says, and by the way, this is Sefer Shmos. So, just as someone who commits bestiality, bestiality gets stoning, so too a sorceress gets skila. It doesn't actually overtly say that a sorceress gets skila. This is an example of being Dore Shmuchim. We're learning since the next Pasuk says that bestiality gets skila, so we know that it must be the Pasuk before where it doesn't go ahead and... Um, <clears throat> it says that specifically Sokol by... Uh, yeah, they get skila. So the Gemara says... There's no... Great show, you have to have the same word. No, okay, so now, Amr Lebi Huda, Rabbi Huda 
I'll show you how he doesn't hold the smicha. Rabbi Huda actually refutes this and, and, and questions it. Just because they're juxtaposed to each other, you're going to tell me that the sorceress gets the most, uh, most uh, intense and most chamor killing? That's not, that's, not re- that's not the reason why. The reason why Mechashefa gets skila, she does, the sorceress does in fact get stoning, but not because of the reason that you gave of, of smichas parshios. Rather, it says, you learn from somewhere else. In general, there was a statement, don't let anyone who commits sorcery uh, live. Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, oh, I skipped. So, Ov and Yidoni are two separate types of sorcerers. So, an Ov is someone who did necromancy. They tried to, um, they tried to re-engage the dead and, and to speak to the dead. They would take a bone and put it in their armpit, and through that act, they would go ahead and try to uh, engage in conversation with those who were already left this world. A Yidoni was someone who took a, was, Yidoni was someone who tried to um, gauge the best time to do something, look into the future, so to speak. When is the most fortuitous time to go ahead and engage this task or start this task or, or start a business or, or, or get married, so on and so forth? They would take a bone from an animal, I think, and put it in their mouth, and that mouth, the, the voice would emanate from their mouth. Okay, we'll get to today whether it applies today, how, do, how are we supposed to interpret this, how this impacts magic today. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But <clears throat> so in general, there was a blanket statement, don't let any sorceress live. And then all of a sudden, the Torah goes ahead and specifically mentions Ov and Yidoni. Ov is a necromancer, again, trying to get into the, in touch with the dead. And Yidoni <clears throat> is someone who's trying to gauge the future by way of astrology, by way of all these different things, that when he can make the, uh, w- when the time would be most fortuitous for him, to, him or her to be successful. I, and Rabbi Huda continues, Velama Yatsu, so why did the Torah go ahead and specifically mention Ov and Yidoni? It's part of the snake charmers. There's many other kinds of, why did I mention these kinds of, these two specific sorcerers? Lahakish lahen, Veloma lacham, Ma'ov Yidoni Beskila, Avkoma Chashefa Beskila. To tell us when it went ahead and it told us that Ov and Yidoni, these two types of sorcerers, or any related practices, these two people get skila, it must be that Machashefa gets skila also. We know, wh- how does that work? We know in Rabbi, Sh- Rabbi Shema, we have 13, pre- um, we have 13 principles. Kol shebechlal v'yatsom in the klal, lola me'natzmo yatsay, elola me'natzmo kulo yatsa. When you have a general statement, and then the Torah goes and specifies one, then the reason why the Torah mentioned this one in particular is to, brought, to shed light on the category as a whole. Lo lula made Ov and Yidoni were not um, singled out just to teach us about them. Ela ala klal kul really to teach us about the, to be a binyanov, to be a paradigm for the whole concept. And therefore, Yehuda says, it has nothing to do with smuchim. In general, Mechashefa was supposed to be killed. Then the Torah goes out of the way and said, Ov and Yidoni, types of sorcerers, are going to get skila. It must be that the Torah is not going to give an exhaustive list, all 27 types of, I'm just made that number made that number up, but it's not going to tell us all 27 types of sorcerers. It's going to pick two. And by the way, it's the same machlokas we have by Shabbos, right? How many, how many malachos are there in Shabbos? 39. 39. 39. Where does the Torah tell us that there are 39 malachos? Doesn't, right? First of all, what are the sources for the 39 malachos? Okay, so one is the Mishkan. This is totally off, off the daf, but, right, the juxta, oh, juxtaposition from the Mishkan, juxtaposition to, to Shabbos. Machlokas Rashi and the Egg Leital, whether it was the binyan of the Mikdash, those malachos that were required for the building of the, of, of the Mishkan, or in the Avoda, or those that were necessary to carry out the Avoda. That's one possible source. What's another possible source? 
So there's a Tosvos in, in Arve Psachin that discusses, everyone's familiar with the At-Bash, with the At-Bash Gematria, Aleph equals Tav, right? Bet equals Shin, I said Bet. Bet equals Shin, Gimel equals Resh, right? So Tosvos says, B'nai Yisrael were forced to do Avodas Parach. Parach says Tosvos, if you do the At-Bash, if you, do the, if you figure that out, it's Lamites. And how do we know that one of the few times that Gematria is actually halacha? How do we know, and why is that relevant? Because it says we have two reasons for, for Shabbos. One in, we have right in, in Parakei of Eschanan, we have the Sarasad Debros, and Shemos Parakhov in Yisrael, we have the Sarasad Debros. We have Shabbos because we have Maisabracious and Zecher Letzias Mitzrayim. So Tosa says, Avodas Parach, if you look, that which Paro made the Yidin do equals 39, that's another source. And there's a third source, the Zohar. The Zohar says, whatever Hashem required to do during my Sabratius, those are the malachos that are usher. Be that as it may, there are 39 malachos. How many are mentioned in the Torah? Unequivocally, meaning clear as day. How many are actually mentioned in the Torah? One. Which ones? There's another one, possibly, the Gemara in Ervin, Tavtzadi Vav says, It's possible that Israel Tzah might also be mentioned, but that, that's not as explicit. Do not go ahead and, and kindle a fire. Interesting, right? That the Mekoshesh Eitzim, there was someone who was killed, put to death for for something he was, we're not sure, the Gemara discussed three possibilities, what Mekoshesh, he gathered wood, is Saw, did he separate, Ma'amer, but the Torah never told us that those are Asunyes put to death. So the Gemara discusses, why, why did the Torah go out of its way to teach us why did it mention that one? So that's a very famous machlokas. Does it teach us that they're all... Does it, does it shed light on all of the 38 malachos? No pun shed, shed light, very good, right. right. So basically it's the same thing. It mentioned one. Does it teach us that each one is an individual malacha, that you have each one separately? Same two here. It mentioned one. Maybe it's teaching us as, as a broad category that they're all chayev skilas. So that's what he says. So why does Abzus arrive that he doesn't hold from school? But he, re- but yeah, but okay, but possibly correct. In other words, he still holds of this because you have to hold it that, oh, that 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 she gets skila. He's saying you don't have to come on to that. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he, clearly he could still hold it theoretically in other places. He just gives a different reason here. But the Gemara, it's a good question. But the Gemara seems to assume that he rejects it here because he actually says we don't hold this. We don't have to hold the smuchim, but. That doesn't mean in other places he won't necessarily, but the Gemara assumes that as a, uh, as a given based on this. So the Gemara says, and, and I'll still tell you that in, in Mishnah Torah, that in, um, <clears throat> in Tevarim, he holds of it. I'll tell you as follows. So there's in general, there's a halacha that a son cannot marry his father's wife. We're not talking about his mother, a stepmother. A, fa- a son cannot marry his father's uh, uh, um, wife. The Gemara says, even, even, Rabbi Lezer says, However, if a man, if a, if a man's father had relations with a woman out of wedlock, either he forced himself on her or he seduced her, that the son can marry, says Rabbi Lezer. So it's not anyone that he engaged in Tashmash with that, that's also to the son, whoever the father engaged with. It's specifically if it was in the construct of the institution of marriage, he can't marry her. But he does say that, Rabbi Lezer says that, no say other than a man can marry <coughs> the father's 
the woman he slept with either through from forcing or from rape or from or from uh, from seduction. Now anusas beno or mufusas beno. Similarly, a man can marry the woman of his son that son also had relations with outside of wedlock. Rabbi Huda says oser anusas avim mufusas aviv. Rabbi Huda doesn't disagree that you can the father can then go marry the son's extracurricular activities whoever he engaged with. But not when it comes to his father. So now the Gemara is going to try to explain why. Why does Rabbi Huda distinguish between the father and the son? Meaning a son can marry that woman outside of wedlock whose father relations with, but a, but a father cannot marry a son's uh, woman, uh, you know, partner, domestic partner. The Pasuk says clearly, a son cannot take his father's wife, his stepmother. He cannot marry or cannot, okay? Then next to it, it says, And a son cannot reveal the knaf, sort of the wing, the robe of the father. And basically what it means, So basically a son shall not uncover, meaning when it says uncover, I'm referring to Tashmish intimacy, with the robe that his father saw, meaning with the woman that his father had Tashmish with. So since it only says, Exactly, since it only limits it to the father, here we see that he is Dore Smuchim. These are two separate psukim. Lo yikach ishas isha is a separate pasuk from you should not see the robe, reveal the robe of your father. And that means that only the son vis-a-vis the father's um, woman <coughs> would it be usher to. So clearly we see that he does hold of, of Smuchim when it comes to, when it comes to Mishnah Torah, Sefer Dvarim, because this is in Sefer Dvarim. So our question comes back now. Even if you tell me that Rabbi Huda doesn't hold of smuchim everywhere, we see that when it comes to Sefer Dvarim, he does hold of smuchim, in which case, just like the Yidin by Maimon or Sinai were not allowed to be in a state of Balkari, otherwise they would be not allowed to uh, accept the Torah. Therefore, it should, since the Pasuk says, you'll go ahead and educate your children, give them Torah, they should also have to be in a state of Torah, which means that a Balkari should be Usser and Torah. So how does Rabbi Huda say you're allowed a Balkari, someone who had an admission of Zerah, can go ahead and articulate Shema, Bechaz Kriya Shema, even if you don't know the Smuchim, Bechal Tarakula, in Devarim you should. And this thing of Harsinai and teaching the children was in, a, was in Devarim. So therefore you should still say that just like <clears throat> a Balkari was Usser in Torah by Mom and Harsinai, a Balkari should be Usser all the time to teach Torah. So, how does um, Smuchim work if there's a Pasuk before and a Pasuk after? Great question. I don't know. Great question. Meaning, do we always learn, does the first Pasuk always shed light on the second Pasuk, is what you're asking. I'll get back to you. It's a great question. I, I think it happens to be like that, usually. But here's actually the second Pasuk, actually. Right? I think the first Pasuk is usually the general statement, and the second one's going to shed light here. Loigle Knaf Aviv is showing that only on, not at every type of HSH. I'm going to get back to you on that, but I, I don't know that there's a set halacha, but it's an interesting question. So it's <coughs> question, practically, what do you need to exact at that point? Say again? What do you need to exact? Right, so I'm saying, he's saying it can go both ways. Mistama, there's so many smuchim, probably, I'm just saying, is, do we usually uh, accord significance or prim- primacy <laughs> more to one than the other? So Gemara says, okay, so we still have a question of Rabbi Huda. Gemara says, Amri, ain't in B'Mishnah Torah, he does. You are right. Rabbi Huda does hold of smuchin in, 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 in Dvarim, because everyone does. The Hani smuchin, <coughs> but the smuchin, he is Dori smuchin. 
But the smuchim, the halacha that he's going to learn from his juxtaposition is totally different. It's not that a Balkari can't engage in Torah. He is Dori smuchim. You know what he learns? He says, B'mishnah Torah Darish, but he learns it out for something else. Anyone who teaches his son Torah, and by the way, when this is quoted in a different Gemara, it says to his grandson, because it says, So it says, or Ben Beno, anyone who teaches Torah, excuse me, to his son or grandson, the Torah is going to reward you and give you the credit, as if you, what you're giving over, is what you yourself received, and Harchorev. Harchorev is a synonym for Sinai. Because it says, you'll teach your children or grandchildren, and then right after it says, So he do, does hold the smichos, <coughs> He does hold of smichas. Just the, the, the halacha that he's learning from these two psukim is unrelated to about Kerry being aser b'Torah. He's saying if you teach Torah, you have the. It's as if you have this, the the power in your corner of a Har Sinai. Okay, so that is the Gemara. Rabbi Yehuda still says the Shita, and that is that one can go ahead even in the state of Balkari, in the state of Tuma, that one can go ahead and um, and recite Kriya Shema out loud. So a couple things I wanted to discuss. <clears throat> Firstly. The existence of sorcery and its related practice, not everyone buys into that that it ever existed, okay? We know that we saw from the Paro and the Khartoumim, right, during the, the Makos, that the Torah suggests that he had these, uh, that he had these sorcerers, Paro had these sorcerers, but not everyone necessarily believes this. Beautiful, we can get to that in a minute. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And that's very hard, it's a whole parak. Perchafchas and Shmuel Aleph will discuss this. That's why I was looking for it. I want to read it. Thank you, Shlomo. So now, who was so? <clears throat> the Torah tells us there was sleight of hand. There was there was sorcery. There was the, the even the, even the Khartoumim at one point said Espalo Elokimi. Right at some point they gave up, which suggests that in the beginning they were Kiviyachal able to do battle with the Karshbachum. Belatayim. Good. Yeah. So the Gemara said. So who was the most uh, who was the ultimate pragmatist of all that we've shown him? Who was the one who always says everything is a muscle, doesn't believe in anything supernatural? Rambam. So the Rambam is the most prominent of those who say that this never existed. I'm going to read the Rambam in the Hilchas of Odazarah, Perak Yud Aleph Halacha Tes Zayin. He writes, He's talking about sorcery. It's complete. Shaker, uh, it's false. You can't get strong in that. These Ovdei Avodazarim tried to promulgate sorcery for what reason? So that people would follow them. They'll, they'll, have a, they'll have a following in the masses. And he says, It is not proper for those amongst us, Don't fall for this. It's stupidity, it's false. There's absolutely no real uh, science to this. Shinemar, so, so on and so forth. And it says, listen to what he says here. And this is the Rambam. And anyone who subscribes and puts an ounce of belief into sorcery, and actually accords them some significance, some credence. These people have lower intellect. Okay, they're 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 tipshim. And this next line is Uvichlal Nashim Aktam Shain Daitan Shlema. We'll skip out the word Nashim. Uvichlal Aktanim Shain Daitan Shlema. We say that they're like children who don't have full mental capacity. I'm quoting the Rambam, guys. 
I would never say this in any day, especially today's our 25th anniversary with my wife. I would never insult her on, on my 25th anniversary. And still giving share. Okay, now. Now, Rabbeinu Hananel is caught, is, uh, Rabbeinu, we have water for everybody. <laughs> Rabbeinu Hananel, Rabbeinu Hananel actually is quoted to Rabbeinu Bechaya, who also says there's no such thing as sorcery. However, on the opposite side, who's always the Baal Plukta with the Rambam? Ramban. The Ramban believed very strongly that sorcery did exist. The Torah gives so many psukim, right? You have a Novi Sheker, you have a Shoel, you have a Yidoni, you have Mechashef. You have, you have so, the Torah gives such significance to it. If it was just Narishkeit, it'd be hard to say that the Torah really... Uh, um, but, but, but yeah, it's very deep, above my pay grade, but yes, he goes into it very, very deeply. Oh, that's exactly what we're talking about. So I'm going to read this now. In par- how, does, how does the Rambam describe Bilam or something? So, Novi is from a Kaddish Baruch That's something else. Right? No, we know that Bilam had, had, there's no doubt that Novi, Bilam was a very special, unique individual. How a Kaddish Baruch gave it to an, it's a separate question, but... He was a Navi, and everything that comes from Kaddish Baruch Hu is, is, is MS. So I just want to go very, very quickly, because the Torah actually, in Shmuel Aleph, uh, tells us in, in Chavkes that when, when Shaul all of a sudden lost connection with the Kaddish Baruch Hu, Kaddish Baruch Hu stopped answering him, and he was fighting the Plishtim, and he was, in, he was in trouble. He wasn't sure whether he was going to win it or not, so he actually dresses up as a non-king, and he says, um, after Shmuel died already, this is in and Shmuel Aleph. The Plishtim gathered him and they're ready to fight. And he goes to Gilboa. And there he says, he tries to reach out to Hashem. Shaul always, as all the kings did, would ask Hashem, are we going to win? Are we going to lose? Crickets. He didn't get any answer. So, he asks his servants, let me go to Ov, a necromancer. I will go ask her what what what's the uh, what's the forecast? He dressed up in civilian clothes. He has a posse with him, two guys. She says, "Bring up your um, what's the word? Uh, engage your uh, your necromancy, your 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 spirits." And from the grave, you will br- rise up the spirits that I ask you. And then she again, and and um, and then she says to him, "Are you? You know, I'm, if I do something, get in trouble. Shaul outlaw this. They they were they were expelled from the land. You want me to go in and do a a a, uh, a practice that uh, that has a royal decree not to go and engage in, and you." I tell him it's not cash enough. She let me sin. You're gonna get me killed. He says, "I swear to you in the name of Shaul." She didn't realize that this was Shaul. And then he says, "Who should I call up for you?" He says, "Shmuel Ha'alilach. Call up Shmuel Anavi, and so on and so forth. She eventually does that, and then she catches on that he's Shaul, and then he actually succeeds in speaking to Shmuel. Shmuel gets up, and she speaks to Shmuel. And she communicates. If you ever saw the movie Ghost, right? She communicates through to Shmuel, and Shmuel says, "You're gonna lose the war." But we see, to your point, Shlomo, that actually Shlomo engaged in this. So how do we, how do we understand this? So we'll get to this modern day in a second, but Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky has an unbelievable insight on this Pasuk in, um, in, in Shmos. Uh, it says... Sians. He basically did Sians. Sians. Okay. How can that be possible? 
Okay, I'll ask you to elaborate afterwards. I'm not sure. Okay, so oh, seance. Okay, that's an Israeli accent. My bad. My bad. My bad. My bad. Okay, Ma- correct. 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 Okay, so now, so he says as follows: If Yaakov Kamenetsky has an unbelievable, he has he 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 invokes this cloud, this principle. Try to bring, bring up, uh, speak, speak to the dead, speak to the dead. That's what he did. That's what she did. That's what she did. So now it turns out he says, he says as follows. He says there's an important concept in the world. He said we always, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky believed it to be axiomatic that we always have to have an equilibrium between good and evil. He said in the olden times, we're engaging with Hashem directly, where nisim gluyim were much more, where, where overt miracles were much more common, I wouldn't say every day, but much more commonplace than it is today, sorcery for negativity had to be on a high level. You always have to have an equal good and bad, good forces and evil forces in the world. If not, think about it. If the world was much more in the favor of good, then Bechira Chavshis would have no value. If, if there was much more good in the world, then of course, if, if 90% of the world was Jewish and, leaving in Hashem, and believing in Hashem and his achters, and, and his yichur Hashem, then it wouldn't be such a big mila for us to go ahead. And conversely, if too much evil in the world, then choosing good would be unfairly impaired. So he says, once, when did Nevoah stop? By Shani. Once Nevoah stopped, and we didn't have that direct communication with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, by definition, sorcery had to drop. And he goes on, this is a cloud that he invokes, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, throughout many different places, that the world has to be, because otherwise there's, there's no coins. What's the, yeah, because what's the coins in being a good yid if 90% are, are people are doing good? It's only evil, is, or good is only good if you have good and evil. If everyone is good, there's no good. Everyone is, that's the status of everyone. So you have to have an equals, so that's what he basically says. And therefore, while it may have existed in the times of yesteryear, it doesn't necessarily apply today. Now, meaning that sorcery is not as strong as, as, as it was back then, but that's not to say that it didn't necessarily exist back then. How the Rambam is going to deal with, with, with um, Sho'ol is he says it's an allegory. The same thing he says with the three Malachim, with Avram. He, he believes that most of these things are just Mishalim. I want to sort of bring this into relevance today about magic shows. We have five minutes. So magic shows. So that's to be the closest thing we have today. So let's see how this works. So the Pasuk, actually, I want to read the Pasuk. The Pasuk is in is in Kedoshim. And the Pasuk says as follows. It says, Lo sochlo al adam. We learned on, we discussed this in, in Sanhedrin. I think there's six different, I forget which daf, but there's six different things that we learned from this Pasuk. You're not allowed to eat for davening. You can't eat an animal while it's still living. You don't go ahead and give a suda savra for anyone who was killed by Bezdin. A lot of different things. It's called a lav shabachlolos. From one lav, you learn six different things. Okay. The Pasuk continues and says, Lo sinachashu, do not engage in sorcery. Velo onenu. Do not, and they interpret it as, do not believe in lucky times. That's Arts Girl. Rabbi Arts Girl. Lo se'onenu, don't believe in lucky times. So now, Rashi interprets it. The word lo se'onenu could be two possibilities. One is from the word ona, which is time period. Don't look to astrology to try to figure out when is going to be a mazel dekashah. Gersh Baruch tells us, kitov pamayim kitov, your favorite saying, right? Get married on Tuesday because it says kitov twice. The Torah says that. So then we can rely on but for you to go ahead and to look at the astrology, the zodiac, and say, what is the most fortuitous time that would violate this? The other thing, it comes from the word ayin, ay, achizas enayim. When there's a sleight of hand, you violate this pasuk. So now, let's see how this works out. 
So actually, the Shulchan Aruch, this is the halacha, says as follows. Ha'omer piti nafla, or, or I drop my stick, or I drop my food, or tzvi hifsiko baderch, or a, the equivalent of a black cat at that time, a, a deer passed my path, or a snake passed on my right side, or shual, or a fox on my left side, and from any of these everyday signs, you're going to start to say, when is the most... I'm not going to start my journey to uh, driving, I'm doing a crossroad to, from, from Florida to California. A black cat st- uh, crossed my path, I'm not going to do that today. You violate this Pasuk according to, according to the Shulchan Aruch. Now, Rashi gives another possibility in Sanhedrin. So here Rashi says, on the Pasuk, don't, you, don't look to, the t- to see what the most, best time is based on randomness. In Sanhedrin, uh, Samach Hey says as follows. He says, I'm, and just to read it, creating the illusion of performing an impossible act when in fact one does nothing. I just, the words are hard, so I just translate it into English. Creating the illusion of performing an impossible act while in fact one does nothing. That's how Rashi interprets Achiz Sinai in seizing the eyes. Rashi does not explain, though, how an impossible act is performed. All he says is creating the illusion of performing an impossible act, but doesn't explain how someone does the impossible act. So there are three possibilities. One is the smog and the radvaz. One says either based on demons or witchcraft. We'll put that together. Demons and witchcraft. That's how you give the impression they're doing an impossible act. The Ramah says it's a magical illusion which does not affect the substance itself, yet it defies scientific analysis. That's what the Ramah says. But the third one Listen to what the Rambam says. The Rambam says in Mitzvah Losa, in his Sefer Mitzvahs, in Losa Selam and Beis, he says as follows. He says, by means of, again, I'm just in, in, translating to English, by means of quick, adroit movements that are quite skillful, these are products of natural talent, which though extremely weir, rare, are not perceived as supernatural. So again, either you perform these acts impossible that Rashi defines either by way of witchcraft or demons, not really Shaykh today, Making it seem like it's supernatural, but it doesn't change the substance of not really so shy today. It's within but, the realm of nature. Within right. But the Rambam says by skillful movements that you give the impression you're doing something amazing, it's a talent, but you're really not. According to this, magic shows are a problem. Right? It's all sleight of hand. Right. So according so what, what about Harry Houdini? He was he was a Okay, one second. So he wasn't a rabbi. Right, so one second. Right. So so look so now what is the practical? Uh, yeah, he, no, he wrote a book on, on magic. So, uh, <clears throat> so what is the practical halacha today? I'm going to read to Moshe Feinstein. It's amazing. Give me one minute. What is the practical halacha today with sleight of hand with magic? So the Chachmas Adam, who lived about 200 years ago, big posek, brings it, makes it more relevant. Us batchanim. Batchanim is a, is a term that we use for jokesters who come typically to weddings, who make uh, make lebedik, right? Who make it fun. So he says. Listen to what the Chachmas Adam said. These Badchanim who perform achizas enayim at weddings are transgressing or violating an Isr Torah, says the Chachmas Adam. One who hires them violates Lifna Ever. You're putting a stumbling block in front of somebody. And this is even quoted by the Pischei Tshuva. Now the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, I'm going to save everybody here for a little bit, at least half the people here. He says, he goes on to say also you cannot do magic shows if, you, if the sleight of hand but he adds one thing, says the Kitzah Shulchan Aruch, Avalim Nachri Osakein Mutter Liros. If a Nachri is performing it, not, not a Badkin, which is a typical, typical Hasidic guy. Remember my brother's wedding 30 years ago, they had three guys in Strymals come, 
and one of them was the Batchan. He was a riot. I didn't know this then, but you know, are you allowed to? If so, if it's a Nachri, it's it's a pro, it's not a problem. If it's a Jew, says the Kisser Shachnarch, it's a problem. I want to read from Moshe Feinstein. This will end. Listen to what he says. It seems to be that most of the Mafarshim do not um, um, do not say it doesn't apply today. So we still have a little bit of a quandary that we have to get ourselves out of today. How do we do all these things with these magic shows? I wanted to read Ramosha. This is a long thing. I wrote it. I translated a lot of it into English. It says as follows. Ramosha was asked whether he permitted ma- magic shows. This is in Igros Moshe, Yoradea, Chelek, Dalid, Sim, uh, Shaila, Tshuva, Yudgimo. In his lengthy response, he comes as follows. He wonders how the Torah can prohibit something that comes naturally to a person. Rav Moshe says, this is Rav Moshe, it is puzzling that should be prohibited for one who naturally is quick to act in accordance with his quickness. Didn't the brothers dispatch Naphtali to Egypt to bring a bill of sale from, from Yaakov so that we find it's permissible, even the Torah. Also, Shimshon, he said, was permitted to use his supernatural strength. And so, um, which, or, which is not normally found to people and surely puzzling to people, and yet we do not find that it was prohibited from using such strength. Okay, uh, um, now, so why is quickness of movement any different? This is what Moshe concludes. I have briefly said all of this while studying the subject. This has not been rendered me t- by me as a halachic ruling, since in any case, if the magician lies and says that he can perform supernatural acts that we ought to prohibit, that we ought to prohibit, um, since he can easily lead people to believe that he is a person of wondrous powers, even if he doesn't lie, saying only that Hashem gave him this talent, Nevertheless, it should be shown to people only in such a manner that they can clearly distinguish that this is done through swiftness of motion and not in such a manner where they cannot fathom what he's doing. Yet it is possible to permit this for the clear, for the batchanim that perform echizas enayim at weddings in such a manner where it is apparent and clear that it is due to swiftness of motion. So if the batchanim are are saying we're not doing anything supernatural, when they pull out a card out of your pocket, um, I have the cards and I pull it out of your pocket, they have to let it know that it's just done of basically swiftness of motion, not doing anything supernatural. But we know that. Oh, we know that today. But it seems that the Chachmas Adam prohibits even this. But it is possible to forbid this to batchanim only if they say they're using magic. But if they state they're employing natural means and it is well known that it is so, then I do not see any grounds to prohibit but nevertheless, I have never been asked with respect to an actual instance, and therefore I have never permitted it. I would attempt to evade the issue. The Gadol Ador, the Posek Ador, says, I would attempt to evade the issue in deference to the Chachamim, the Bach, the Shach, and the Chachmas Adam, who all say it's Asr, who prohibit this. And if I were unable to evade the question, then I would rule that in a natural manner, and where it is well known that it's performed through natural means, that it is permitted. So the, the Sikh majority hold that it's usher. Some say where you could lenient, provided the audience clearly understands that no magic supernaturals are at play. But the Chuvas Van Hago says something that would be catastrophic to all the entire industry, says magician can do it, provided he demonstrates how he did his trick afterwards. <laughs> I'm not telling you, any magicians here, I'm not telling you, it's not good for business. But that's what we possibly, Lalaka says, if you can show them after the trick, they have to get ooled all the woo, ah, and ooh, ah, and ooh. Everyone goes crazy. You, when it goes to commercial, you can show them how you did it. Just Google it. Mentalists be included in that. I'd like to have to do everything. What are the remedies? The Chazal, you know, tell you about...